Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're going over a little bit of week one, but mostly giving you a week two preview. You can follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Parker Hurley Parks. How you doing, bud? Doing good, yeah. I'm sorry we missed you on week one, but all that means is this will be a really good one. Uh, it should be a jam-packed one, so I won't spend too much time. We'll just get into it. Yeah, Parks, we can start with the Thursday night game, Buccaneers at Panthers. The Buccaneers ended up falling to the Niners at home, 31-17, to and the Panthers lost a close one, 30-27 to at home to the L.A. Rams parks. So I'm looking at injuries here. The Bucks place Justin Evans, safety on IR. They signed Andrew Adams. Um, over 13 appearances last year, Adams had led the team with four picks. Um, so he looks like he'll slot in for Evans there, Parks. Um, I have nothing else to add. Um, do you want to talk about their games from last week and get into this matchup Thursday night? Yeah, right. You got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are coming off of a home game where we took them. So I really watched that game you know, pretty investedly. We took them against the San Francisco 49ers, potentially thinking that you know Bruce Arians' offense, you have the West Coast team flying to the East, um, and the 49ers are kind of, you know, I wouldn't say scrambling on defense, but, you know, Nick Bosa without a training camp, um, he only played about, you know, 30, 40% of the game or yeah, that the game, but he finished with two sacks, but, um, you know, just thinking that that Niners defense with, you know, D Ford's integrated, Quan Alexander actually ended up leaving the game. Um, just, you know, they had a new safety, uh, Tavarius Moore that was a cornerback last season. Just thinking, you know, Jameis Winston has to be in a good spot. Bruce Arians is going to put him in a good spot. Um, we didn't have a Bucks preview, but Winston finished the season um, with a 13 to 4 touchdown to interception ratio um, last year after he got benched. And I was talking about on some, some of those podcasts thinking potentially getting benched for the second time. Whereas, you know, when he came, he was suspended first off and then they said, we're going to actually roll with Fitzpatrick. And then they benched him when he came back for Fitzpatrick. Um, I thought it maybe showed some maturity, but he was really bad on Sunday and um, one of the things was that there was a flu going around and I know Mike Evans was I think questionable all week with the flu bug some of the defensive players I think some of the other um, offensive players had the flu bug and that's why you could see in Mike Evans stat line um, he really didn't do anything he really didn't you know he didn't command anything and he went up against Richard Sherman who completely dominated him so I think that's kind of just a You'll take a pass on that. And I think with Winston, you give him, you know, it's crazy because he, he really was so bad in that game. But I think he will, you know, eventually, he, everyone keeps saying, oh, they're going to move to Blaine Gabbard. Bruce Arians talked all offseason that he's completely invested in him and he thinks that he can turn a winner out of Jameis. And like I said, due to the flu, and Bruce actually came out in the press conference and um, took a lot of the heat off of Jameis and was kind of, you know, putting heat on some other players and himself, but was saying that, you know, it wasn't on Jameis. So Jameis is going to come again, or he's going to slowly progress. Um, co- going into the Panthers game, I don't think it's going to come when you have a short week on the road against the Carolina Panthers, who are coming off of a loss. And man, if you really watch that game, another one that we bet, we bet the Panthers and actually walked away with a push in that game. But, you know, we were betting the Panthers saying, well, Indomitian Sue, you know, is not on the Rams anymore. Mark Barron is not on the Rams anymore. LaMarcus Joyner is not on the Rams anymore. I think this run defense is going to take, they're not a great run defense last season they weren't until Sue really turned it on in the playoffs and um, that's another thing um, for this game is I think Sue with the Bucks 
I don't know if he's going to consistently turn it on with his run game um, in this specific matchup. But going back to the Rams, I knew that, you know, Carolina was going to be able to run on them. What happened in that game was uh, they missed a field goal. DJ Moore fumbled a football. Cam Newton threw a really bad interception. Um, Cam Newton also threw a pass that was tipped at the line of scrimmage and they called it a fumble, which I still just don't understand even the explanation of it. But they turned it over and it led to points for the Rams. And I look at that Rams game and we're going to talk about with Jared Goff. Um, the, the Panthers got after him and he looked um, completely, Goff did not look good on Sunday. I don't care what you say about he West Coast to East Coast, you know, 10, 10 a.m. start. He started slow for sure. But when the pressure came it was the same old Jared Goff and um, I don't think that you know surviving that win and putting up 30 points on the road was indicative of his performance I also don't think that was indicative of the Panthers defensive performance because of the turnovers the missed field goals the field position was in the Rams favor so I look at that game and go um back to Tampa Bay and saying, I think the Ram, or I think that Christian McCaffrey will run the football all over Tampa Bay. Like I said about Sue, I don't trust his run defense, especially early into the season. Devin White actually did look pretty good in that game, but it's still, you know, one of his issues was over pursuing with run keys and McCaffrey's patience. And then, like you said, um, McCaffrey's patience is his best attribute, in my opinion, because he takes that, like that quick step. And then he's really hitting holes that I think Devin White, it'll be kind of a welcome to the NFL type of situation. And then you look at the cornerbacks, you know, Carlton Davis missed some time. They're still shuffling like Sean Murphy Bunting was in there. The rookie from Central Michigan was shuffling in in his first NFL game. Um, Vernon Hargrave still getting used to him. Justin Evans was, you know, kind of the um, somewhat of the alpha of that secondary, the most experienced player of that secondary. So like you said, on the fly, they're recovering from him. I think Cam Newton will get back into the flow of things. They'll, you know, home prime time. Um, I, I, don't, I think the Bucks defense will eventually take a step forward. I just don't think it's there yet. So I think Cam will get back into the flow of things. I think McCaffrey will do the same thing he did on Sunday. And then on defense, I think they'll continue to show and they're going to get pressure on Jameis Winston in the same ways that the 49ers did um, rotating their defensive line. So um, Brian Burns had a pretty good game as a rotational, um, you know, just getting pressure on Jared Goff. I think he'll continue to get pressure on Winston. James Bradbury had an interception and he's a big time ball hockey and he's always been um him and Mike Evans have always had some battles so I could see you know Jameis Winston throwing more interceptions throwing the football down the field leading to uh I think the the Panthers will cover the six and a half I could see them you know if a backdoor cover and all of a sudden they win by seven points or you know close to that I think we tease the Panthers just thinking that at home on a short week I know Bruce Arians is an experienced coach but um just his first time with the team you know traveling for that short week to play a division foe that knows them really well Gerald McCoy obviously knows them he's starting on the Panthers will play the Buccaneers and um I just think that the Panthers will win this game um I, I think I said the score was going to be like 31 21 Panthers is where I got to uh, got to on that one. Yeah, Park. So the total is rated at 49, 49 and a half. So you're pretty much on there. I mean, maybe a lean over, but probably a pass on that. Um, we ended up playing a teaser with the Panthers and the Chiefs. Panthers just six points. Panthers down to half a point. So they just need to win. Chiefs minus one and a half at the Raiders for one unit. Parks. Um, 
Would you do anything with that total? Would you just pass on it? I would probably just pass on it considering the Thursday night. You could see them, you know, both teams getting off to a slow start. Cam looked a little bit um, inaccurate, a little bit uneasy, but I do think that this is a good chance for him to, you know, maybe after a slow start, I do think he'll get into the flow of things. So, I mean, for the most part, though, um, you're starting the main fantasy guys here. You know, DJ Moore just completely dominated. Curtis Samuel, I think you do, might have. I mean, if you want to, depends how, you know, deep your benches are, but um, it's clear that their offense is going I mean McCaffrey had 30 touches and you know they said they're going to scale that back a little bit but he's going to touch the ball like 30 times it was 11 receptions so you know that's what they're just going to get him the football in very creative ways um and then DJ Moore had 10 targets himself so it's going to be more in McCaffrey and then Olsen was really the next guy and I think Olsen actually might be out in this game which could set up Ian Thomas but that's where I think that Samuel at this point is a splash player so he's more of a you know if you want the splash go for it if you can prepare for the bust go for it and then for the bucks you start you know godwin oj i think evans will bounce back a little bit although like i said the bradbury matchup and then Jameis, you have to just um you have to see because his issue was just he was erratically inaccurate and you know you can't it doesn't matter if the guys are open if the scheme's good if you know the talent's there if he's that inaccurate it's going to be an issue so yeah parks like you mentioned with olsen i forgot to um, add on the panthers there but he hasn't practiced this week so with just three days between the games he said his plan is to play thursday night but it's probably going to be a game time call so you can wait and see that if you have him but most people that have him probably have another tight end option they can go with moving on to the next game park sunday one o'clock cardinals at ravens um the look ahead line parks was minus nine and a half but after both teams performances right now we're looking at anywhere from 13 all the way up to 14 parks um the ravens ended up going down to miami and won 59 to 10 and Arizona tied Detroit 27-27 I believe they were down yeah 24 to 6 at one but right at the start of the fourth quarter parks um talk about those games and then we can get into this week yeah the good thing is um for me at least we're not going to talk much about Miami we're kind of you know they're just I'm not going to be on my radar this season for obvious kind of reasons that you know they're going to start jacking the spread up and we have no I don't see them having a desire to play so um if you go listen to our Ravens podcast you can really listen to everything that I thought about the Ravens offense and just say that like now I think people are overreacting, you know, based on the fact of what he did to Miami. You know, now I think, you know, let's let's actually see it against a good defense. Uh, the good thing for him and the Ravens, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, is they play the Cardinals, who are not a good defense. Um, if you look into, you know, that game against the Detroit Lions, um, Cliff Kingsbury's debut, obviously, the offense was looking, um, and he even said it, he literally just, he came out in his press conference and said, I got way too cute in that first half. I thought I was trying to be, you know, something really smart and just you know trying to be the cool guy and everything like that and then I started to get back to it and I agree with that for sure um it obviously you know when the offense isn't going for the Cardinals they're just not going to go because their defense it has holes you know just completely throughout it and um the way that I was handicapping that Cardinals-Lions game was thinking, um, and the reason we stayed off it, I'll kind of explain, but I'm thinking, okay, they're going to get off to this slow start. They have a, The Cardinals have a just absolutely awful offensive line, and um, Matt Patricia will scheme up some stuff that's pretty innovative that Kyler Murray has never seen before, and the Lions have a pretty good defensive line, and they'll build that lead. And then if you listen to our Lions podcast, the whole theme of the Lions is we're going to run the football and play defense, right? We have the defensive-minded Matt Patricia. This is what he wants 
wants to do. He brought in all these running backs to compliment carry on Johnson. And now you have this, you know, okay, it's Suggs. You know, he was okay. Chandler Jones looked great as a pass rusher. He's always, you know, going to be, but you know, you look at this defense, you know, guys like Zach Allen starting, um, you know, rookie like that. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hassan Riddick, I think was even playing there, but you know, they don't have much. And if your whole entire game plan is to be this running offense and you can't put away this terrible, you know, run defense of the Arizona Cardinals, what I'm kind of saying, and we'll get into it more with the Lions is just that I don't, I didn't see anything from that Cardinals game that made me think that they turned a corner offensively. And I also, you know, don't see, especially defensively, um, you know, they gave up when Patricia's throwing the football, you know, they're hitting on all angles. Danny Amendola is getting loose. And then he goes back to, you know, we're this running team and we're going to grind the clock out. And he couldn't grind the clock out because Murray's throwing bombs on the other side. You know, they're starting to open it up. So you look at this Cardinals team and just say that they just don't have a very good offensive line. And that's going to put them in a really, you know, bad situation going into what's interesting about the Ravens though is that their defense is not going to be as good this season as I think people think it's going to be um I think it could be really good, but Jimmy Smith is already banged up. Brandon Carr is already banged up. Tavon Young's out for the season. Um, they are shuffling, you know, in terms of their linebackers and everything. And their biggest question was their pass rush. So you're heading into this game saying, are they going to be able to get after Kyler Murray? I think that Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, is good enough scheme-wise that early into this game, he's going to get after Kyler. He's going to put him into uncomfortable situations. He's going to be taking sacks. Their offensive line is going to be really bad this season. And then and what's going to happen on the other side is um, they're just going to mow down the <laughs> the Cardinals offensive line or defensive line. I really think so. I mean, like it's, it's a homecoming for Terrell Suggs. Um, I could see him having a decent game um, and I could see, you know, Chandler Jones and him on the edges. That's their real strength. It's just when you look at the Ravens, their real strength is Ronnie Stanley and, uh, you know, the other dude Brown from Oklahoma on the edges. So they're going to be able to block there. And then from there, they're going to use their their scheme and their, you know, everything I talked about on that offense to open things up. I think Lamar Jackson will have to run the football a lot more. I think they're going to run the football in general more, but um, they're going to put up some serious points against the Cardinals um, and they're going to try and like rain down just like they did against Miami. And what's that's going to do is it's going to cause Kyler Murray to really have to start opening it up. It's going to put Wink Martindale into maybe he's going to sit back and soften those zones. And that's where this defense isn't, you know, Anthony Averett was playing big time snaps and he's going to have to potentially start this week. So you look at Cliff Kingsbury, what he does is he runs four wide receivers, one running back basically is that's his like primary set. So he's going to spread the Ravens thin in terms of their uh, secondary and he's going to throw on them. So I'm looking over in this game. I think that, you know, the initial move from nine and a half to 14 was warranted because I think the car, I think, you know, Baltimore's on a mission here that they're pissed off at everything everyone said to them all off season. Um, and I, you know, I know it's Miami, but you know, the fake punt against Miami, they were up like 35, nothing in fake punting on them. You know, they're, they're trying to prove something here and they're going to put up a ton of points on the Cardinals who are just a really bad defense who gave up 24 on an offense who pretty much sat on the football for a quarter and a half. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Like the Ravens should put up, you know, 38 points in this game. I think it's 
it's going to be the Cardinals in the back door. Kyler Murray, oh, how exciting he is, because I don't think the Ravens defense in that second half is going to be as good. So um, I'm thinking it's going to be like a 35-20 type of game, you know, like 35-27, you could say that's how the Cardinals get in the back door. And that's why I think the spread is way too high, despite the fact that, like I said, I think that there's potential for the Ravens to put up so many points they can't come back. But there's also potential for Murray to backdoor this thing because the Ravens. So I'm looking over in this game, but haven't touched it yet because it is, you know, it's these two young quarterbacks trying to prove something so far. Yeah, Parks, and I'm pretty sure you took the Ravens in week one in your survivor. I'm probably going to take them this week if anybody's doing that. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I mean, 14-point favorites, you know. Um, I, I They're going to win. It's just like I said, you know, could Murray get in the back door and make it a seven-point loss? You know, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, Parks, moving on here to... Another 1 o'clock game, Cowboys at Redskins. Um, Look-ahead line was Dallas minus 3.5 and 4.5. And um, the line is anywhere between 4.5 and 5.5 and whenever it opened up this week. Dallas is coming off a 35-17 win over the Giants at home. And Washington had a really nice first half at Philly, ended up losing 32-27 to parks. Um, what did you see in those games? Right, and, you know, back to um, plugging our podcast preseason saying – we talked about that Dallas offense saying buy Dackett value. Um, don't pretend that Zeke's not holding out and take him second. Um, take Amari Cooper when you can. Um, you know, just saying stuff like that. Even saying, you know, Gallup. Um, I, I, I wasn't as high on Gallup, but I think Gallup's in a great spot. And really what we were saying was Randall Cobb and Witten were so underrated that people weren't thinking that just their ability to be chess pieces. And obviously what we were saying was Kellen Moore. Um, because, you know, if you watched college football from like 2008 to 2012, you know Kellen Moore was like the winningest quarterback ever. It's just he didn't have an arm. Like he couldn't throw the football. And I, he was like one of my favorite college players of all time. But I knew he had no shot in the NFL because he he had just had no arm arm strength whatsoever. And he's what like thirty years old, and he's their offensive coordinator now because he's an innovative mind. And he's going to with with these weapons. I mean, Cooper can beat. You know, the other thing is the Giants' defense isn't very good, and we have to relax a little bit in terms of what this Cowboys' offense can do. And when the Cowboys go to Washington, they're they're not necessarily, um, they usually struggle there historically. It's a pretty big rivalry. It's a game that, you know, Washington will, you know, it's obviously still week two, but Washington will get up for. Um, Dallas lost in Washington early in the season last year, and obviously they still ended up making the playoffs. So you have to factor in that the rivalry, that the fact that, you know, Dallas is riding high, blowing off, blowing out a division team at home, um, feeling good about themselves. Now they have to travel on the road for another division game. That's, you know, two big games to get up for. But it's it's hard for me to make the case for Washington. Um, if you look at that start to that game, you know, Case Keenum, Razzle Dazzle, Magic, you know, Terry McLaurin is interesting. And he probably is someone that people have to start, you know, speculative, speculative, speculatively adding because um, Jay Gruden is a decent offensive schemer and he's putting him in the X spot where he's just going to, you know, pretty much run free. But I th- a lot of that had to do with the Eagles have like, you know, they're shuffling a ton of cornerbacks and their secondary is their biggest question so far. And they've, you know, obviously figured it out as time went on. So you're starting to look at Washington and say, you know, they started off hot against a secondary who hasn't quite figured it out. You know, how much are they going to give in terms of their offensive production? You know, Darius Geis, um, another one, if you listen to our podcast, we said do not take, you know, Darius Geis. Um, just, just avoid that at all costs. And um, obviously, you know, we're proven to be right there. Adrian Peterson is going to play this, you know, Cowboys front who's, they were shuffling a lot of guys. Um, you know, they gave up a little 
little bit to Saquon early. The Giants got away from Saquon, which is just, you know, baffling. But <laughs> you still have to look into it and say that um, they should be able to, you know, contain Adrian Peterson with Jalen Smith and Van Der Esch and, you know, what they have. And, you know, McLaurin, if he, Byron Jones played a little bit, you know, he was coming off an injury, so he should be healthy. And they're probably just going to stick him on McLaurin, who, you know, obviously isn't going to have the same, you know, benefactors as, you know, the other situations. So it's hard for, you know, to say that Washington's going to consistently move the football. And then you look on the other side, um, they were really shutting down or they were competing with the Eagles and their big strength is their defensive line. And then all of a sudden, Jonathan Allen goes out and the Eagles, you know, whether it be Darren Sproles, Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, all of a sudden they're all ripping off runs in the second half. And that's really, you know, the Eagles kind of, okay, they're secondary struggling. They hit that bomb to Deshaun. You know, they start climbing back and then it was really Jonathan Allen goes down and all of a sudden, you know, the Eagles go from we're one dimensional in comeback mode to we're just going to run down your throats and put you guys away. That's how that game went. And that's where I look at the Cowboys saying that, okay, it's a rivalry. It's going to be tough. You know, the Redskins are probably going to, you know, uh, throw another haymaker or, you know, attempt to Gruden will probably have a little bit, you know, could scheme a few this or that. Um, But at the end of the day, you have Ezekiel Elliott. Um, If Jonathan Allen doesn't play and, you know, this is one that I haven't touched and even looked into because um, the Washington is just, they're just decimated with injuries um, in week two of the NFL season, but it's Cowboys are pass all the way, um, despite the fact that they're on the road. And I think that the Cowboys are a potential team that, you know, I'm honestly, you know, uh, more worried about their defense. A lot of people are saying, oh, if Dak could play with their defense, I'm saying, you know, I knew that offense is going to be, I think they're going to be good. I think I'm wondering, you know, they're going to be a good team. And that's why I would look Cowboys are passing that one. Yeah, Parks, I'm with you in that game. Um, Looking at the next one here, Colts at Titans. Um, The Colts ended up taking the Chargers to overtime, but lost 30 to 24. Titans went into Cleveland and smashed the Browns 43 to 13. Um, That look ahead line was Titans minus two and a half and then minus three. Um, It's up to. It's rated minus three right now. You can get the uh, total at 44, 44 and a half Um, Looking at injuries here, Funches um, ended up breaking his collarbone. His place on IR, so he's eligible to return week 10. So Paris Campbell and Chester Rogers are the next guys up there. Parks, I don't have anything else for you. So what, what did you see in those games, and how do you feel about this one? Yeah, um, this one is really it's tough to have a feel for. Um, I'm still kind of sitting out on and kind of observing on the Colts. Um, did think that they were going to give the Chargers um, a better run for their money than some people thought, and was definitely proven right on that one. It's just, um, yeah, I still don't know necessarily what the Colts are. They gave up a lot of explosive plays, whether it be like Austin Eckler um, really got loose for a ton against them. And, you know, guys like Darius Leonard uh, struggling in that game. So just walking away from that game saying, I didn't, I I think the Chargers are, I think they're going to be good. I just don't think they're Super Bowl contenders this year. Like I kind of did last season. I don't think they're as good this year yet. We'll see, you know, it is still week one, but um, just thinking, you know, in the, in the Colts, Really, you know, T.Y. Hilton had those two touchdowns, but he wasn't the the most involved in that game. They really, you know, tried to run the football um, and just kind of get out of that game alive. And then uh, one of the Chargers cornerbacks got hurt. And that's where uh, that's where they really started going to Devin Funches in that game. So I wouldn't, you know, put too much into even how Brissett played. I think, you know, everyone who's thought Brissett was going to be as bad as he was 
the last time he started, that didn't make any sense. But also, I don't know how, you know, Brissett looked pretty good against the Chargers. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be that. I think it was a lot of, um, they ran the ball effectively early. They caught a break in terms of some of the cornerback health. And then T.Y. Hilton in the fourth quarter just kind of willed themselves or, you know, kind of willed his way into, um, you know, a good fantasy day and everything like that. But, you know, I'm not buying the Colts yet. I think Mac will have a decent game because I think the Colts really are going to, you know, just try and run the football on everybody and they know that they have a pretty good offensive line. So um, you look at the Titans, they're still, um, they're pretty good in terms of their defensive front, but they're a little bit banged up in their defensive front. Um, You look at their offense, um, and also, you know, they played a great game against the Cleveland Browns, you know, talk about that. They really um, blitzed the hell out of that Cleveland Browns offensive line, but you have to look and say that offensive line that they played against the Browns versus, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, and, you know, Cameron Wake had a huge game, you know, is that necessarily repeatable against that offensive line? Probably not, but um, you do look, the offense is really where I'm going to be looking for the most because, like I said, the Colts were uncharacteristically bad tacklers in that game. Um, Malik Hooker had that big-time pick. Um, Rocky Sin got beat, you know, for a touchdown, but had a pretty good game overall, but um, they really... They, like I said, they're struggling to tackle, and then you get to the Titans, who um, kind of just wore down the Browns on defense, and then Henry really bust that big one. But they were doing a ton of play action. They were kind of getting everybody involved in the offense. You know, Delaney and Henry were kind of the stars of the offense. But um, AJ Brown's an interesting one that I think, while everyone's kind of flocking to um, like John Ross and McLaurin in fantasy, AJ Brown's kind of a sneaky one because he's going to emerge into the X role. Um, I talked about on the Titans preview I was afraid that uh, Davis was going to Corey Davis was going to move to the Z rolls it was going to be deeper targets down the field and that's exactly what it's turning into it's just um, you know Tajay Sharp started over A.J. Brown, but A.J. Brown finished with four catches for 100 yards. I think he had a groin injury in the preseason. He looks healthy, and I think that, um, I really think he actually could be the one that, um, you know, for the season, for the, you know, towards the end of the season, he's actually the one that is the real winner here from week one that, you know, he was, he's kind of like the fourth or fifth guy that you want on waivers, but I think he, he might be the one, uh, A.J. Brown. So we'll see about him because uh, he's in a decent spot, you know, considering Desir. And like I said, Rocky Sin played pretty good. Um, I don't like Corey Davis as much anymore in fantasy. I think Delaney Walker will be fine in fantasy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really just learning in this game on both sides and thinking, you know, the winner of this game um, is, you know, right in the thick of things for the AFC South. The loser is, you know, kind of in a, if, especially if it's the Colts in a tough spot. So I would lean, you know, Colts, but I think I said it was going to be like a 21-20 type of game, you know, a real messy game that it's going to be tough to, you know, mess with. Yeah, Parks, and um, we didn't have any plays in that one. Like you said, it's really just going to be one to learn from. Moving on to the next game here, Seahawks at Steelers, another one o'clock kick. Uh, look ahead line was minus three and a half, minus four and a half for the Steelers. So we're looking at minus three and a half and four. Um, Steelers ended up taking a road loss in New England, 33 to three. Seattle squeaked by the Bengals at home, 21 to 20. Looking on the injury front, um, Juju suffered a toe injury, but he is going to play week two. Um, TJ Watt left the game with a hip injury. Looks like he's going to be all right. Joe Hayden suffered a sprained AC joint. I'm not sure what the latest is with him. Uh, Pete Carroll said he's not counting on Ezekiel Anza 
to return this week, and Puna Ford is week to week. He suffered that uh, suffered a calf strain in the opener. Um, he ended up started for them and had two tackles before going down. But uh, Brian Moon is his backup there. Parks. Um, do you have anything that you want to talk about here? Yeah, I mean, uh, two interesting teams. We didn't get to a Seahawks pre uh, season preview podcast, but my big take was going to be that I don't think their defense is nearly as good as people were saying, or you know, because of the Legion of Boom. We're kind of, you know, thinking and the fact that they made the playoffs last year, um, we're necessarily thinking that their defense was. And then they traded for Clowney and all of a sudden like a real overreaction, you know, came. And it's like, I think everyone thought that they went from an average defense to potentially the best defense in the NFL. I kind of saw it as they went from the 28th best defense to an average defense with that, you know, or something along those lines with that. So I'm still not sold on their defense at all yet, Um, especially like you said, I mean, everyone's saying, oh, a Ezekiel Lance is on their team. I'm like, that was, you know, from four years ago. Is he on their team from four years ago or is he on their team now? Because like you said, he's not on their team right now, you know? And uh, when's the last time he was a, you know, true contributor? Um, it's been a couple years it's since then. So, um, you know, when he's on the field, he can be productive. But, you know, Jerron Reed is suspended. Puna Ford is week to week. That's their defensive front, you know, aside from Clowney, who will be moved around like a chess piece. And it will obviously, um, it's going to test the Steelers, who their offensive line, um, you know, <laughs> the, 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 you know, they move from four and a half to three and a half. They get their asses kicked in New England. It's it's something about you know, that they just can't go to New England and just put together any sort of, you know, semblance of respect or anything like that. But I mean, was the really um, I mean, there was obviously you have to walk away with concerns other than you can't just say, well, they lost to New England like they always do. You know, same old Steelers, um, you know, Ben didn't look great. Um, he is, you know, I talked about it on the other thing. He's really a check down type of, you know, He's turning into, as he's getting older, um, a checkdown type of player. They need James Washington in their offense um, because things start to really get condensed until Dante Moncrief starts catching the football. But, I mean, I really, they need James Washington in their offense because it helps get Juju in the slot, too, who, if you really look at, you know, he was okay against Stephon Gilmore. Um and Stephon Gilmore is like one of the best NF, you know, cornerbacks in the NFL. But um, they did. The only time Juju was able to get passes was when he was um, motioning into the slot or motioning pre-snap or, um, you know, motions inside and then uh, sinks his hips and cuts back outside. You know, they kind of it's not like they're scheming him open, but they need to put him in. They need to get a field stretcher to open up the middle of the field for him is basically what they need to do. Um, the good thing for the Steelers, like I said, is that I think that they should be able to dominate their offensive line against the Seahawks defensive line. I don't think the Seahawks defensive line has much in the tank. Obviously, Bobby Wagner will benefit in that regard, but that's where, I mean, I don't know why they didn't get Vance McDonald nearly as, I mean, I think that game plan just got completely, uh, you know, I think the game got away from them, but got to get Vance McDonald involved because that will open up, that will free up the pass rush and it'll also open up the running lanes, which will get James Conner involved. I'd expect uh, Conner to have a big time game. I think that they're going to, and the other thing, like I was saying with New England, they, the Steelers got manhandled on the offensive line. Um, Villanueva usually struggles and he kind of gets better as the season goes on. Um, you know, Chase Winovich got him a couple, you know, he got really, uh, he got beat up a few times and, you know, the other guys, it just wasn't uh, necessarily a great game. I think the Patriots defense is going to be one of the best in the NFL this season. So when you go there for Sunday night football for the banner raising, you know, it's going to happen. And that's why I do think they're going to bounce back and run the football and really just, you know, 
establish their will against the Seahawks and just kind of pound them into the ground. And um, then you look at their secondary and, you know, they got Shaquille Griffin, who potentially could follow Juju, but they play sides and they play cover three. And that they've never changed that since, you know, uh, since like 2012 or what, you know, whenever they started back then. So, you know, they typically play their sides and Griffin will be on one side and Trey Flowers will be on the other side. And Trey Flowers, you know, he was like a sixth round pick who was a former safety who was okay last season, you know, kind of grew as the season went on. But um, he gave up like 10 receptions last week, had a big time penalty last week. Um, You know, John Ross got um, a big time bomb. Tidrick Thompson is the guy replacing Earl Thomas, gave up a big time bomb to John Ross. Um, What's his name in the slot was starting for Justin Coleman. You know, Tyler Boyd starts eating to to really start the game. Um, Got the Seahawks into a funk from that game. Wasn't impressed with the Seahawks defense. You know, I think, you know, the, the Bengals with a really bad offensive line goes into the Legion of Boom or, you know, the 12th man in Seattle and, you know, really hangs, you know, blow for blow with that Seahawks team. I wasn't, you know, nearly impressed with that. Uh, the Seahawks offensive, you know, philosophy is they're going to run the ball into submission. They're going to throw the ball to Chris Carson in creative ways. They're going to get Carson and Penny on the field at the same time. It's going to get the defense creeping up and then Lockett. Um, Lockett had one reception for 40 something yards. Um, just, you know, when you, when you only throw it, there is some variance in that uh, Seahawks offense. I think that as the season goes on or as teams, if they can score against the Seahawks, it will have to open things up for Russell Wilson, but they're going to try and run the football on the Steelers. And if you really look at, you know, Sonny Michelle and what he was able to do on the ground and just really the Patriots in general, what this Patriots said was, you know, Mark Barron, Devin Bush, you're going to shuffle guys in and out. You know, you're going to try and mix and match and we're going to play fast and, you know, good luck with that. And, you know, uh, Cam Kelly's your safety. I think Sean Davis will be back. So um, I think, you know, the Seahawks are going to try and run the football and the Steelers are going to defend the run very well. And then the Steelers, I think, are going to be able to put up some offense. So um, if they don't, I mean, it's their home opener and they're 0-1. Uh, the Seahawks are 1-0 on the road, East Coast start. You know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, this, if the Steelers lose this game, then you really have to start questioning, you know, is this the Eli Manning year for Ben Roethlisberger? Is the offensive line, is it, you know, Mike Munchak really that devastating? Um, those are the things that I would be asking myself if the Steelers lost this game. So um, I do see them winning, you know, something like 28-20, 28-17, something like that. So um, I would expect the Steelers to win that. Yeah, Parks, we ended up taking the Steelers um, minus three and a half, I believe yesterday. Um, would you do anything with the total? 45 and a half to 46 and a half across the board? No, because I'm, I'm not like nervous. I'm a little nervous about the Steelers offense just you know without Antonio Brown I think it's going to take time I think they're going to run the football effectively um I need to see how they function as a passing offense Tomlin hinted that the receivers will progress and as I've talked about it, it should progress into Washington Deontay Johnson and Juju um DK Metcalf I'd assume I don't know it'll be interesting to see if if Hayden follows Lockett into the slot I would assume no and I'd think that he would get a lot of DK Metcalf so um I don't love Metcalf. I think he had a great, he had a good game, but um, I think you know it, it, it'll be hit or miss with him, just like you know Lockett. But Lockett's so efficient, and they kind of scheme it up for him. So um, definitely start Carson, and that's about it for fantasy for the Seahawks. Yeah, Carson. Looking at the next one o'clock here, Bills at the Giants. Uh, the Giants ended up losing in Dallas, 35-17. The Bills came back and won 17-16. 
against the Jets. Um, so now they're playing the Giants at MetLife, two games in a row there. The look-ahead line was uh, minus 1.5 to minus 2.5 for the Giants. Uh, looking at the line now, the Bills are favored by minus 1.5 um, to 2 with a total between 43.5 and, and 44 parks. Uh, Sterling Shepard has been placed in concussion protocol. He did not practice Wednesday, so they signed TJ Jones there, Parks. Um, yeah, I imagine you'll get into the four turnovers for Josh Allen. Um, big game for John Brown, Parks. But I'll let you talk about those games. Right, and I mean, the thing that we'll talk about as we get further, the Jets' defense might be really bad this season. Um, like, really freaking bad. And I think that they tried to... Their cornerbacks, their secondary... I mean, their secondary is fine. Their cornerbacks are just bad. And the Bills, um, I think they were, you know, trying to really instill a lot of confidence in Josh Allen. And um, they obviously, you know, they got a rookie running back along with Frank Gore, um, just came out throwing the football like crazy. And um, Josh Allen is a fascinating quarterback. Uh, He really, I mean, because he really um, just every once in a while, he'll come up with some magic, but also you know, throws it into the line, throws it straight at guys. Um, the ball's just like bouncing around like, you know, a ping pong ball. Um, he's running for his life on literally every single play. Just a fascinating watch. You know, I think they were trying to get confidence in him. And I actually think that by, somehow by the end of the game, they instilled that confidence in him. But it was just a, you know, a dreary, dreary game um, that they, they move the football. And, you know, Josh Allen just finds little tiny sparks at a time. And then he shoots himself in the foot. And, you know, gives it right back to the Jets, who, you know, they just really couldn't do do much of anything. Um, I thought Le'Veon looked fine. Um, Jamison Crowder, uh, you know, obviously replaced Jarvis Landry in that Jets offense with uh, Adam Gase, you know, down in Miami, you know, catching all those quick little passes. He's going to be good for PPR, but... Um their offense was interesting. I think a lot of it has to do with they have their offensive line is a bit makeshift in that, you know, they traded for Osemele this offseason. They added um, Khalil and they added, um, I forget the other guy, but they added, you know, they added guys really, you know, Khalil was like in the middle of training camp that they added him and he started and the Bills defense is, you know, it's going to, I think it's going to be one of the better defenses in the NFL. So, you know, Tredavious White pretty much shut down Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson had a chance to break the game open um, and didn't take advantage. You know, he's so hit or miss, but you know, I, I was not touching Robbie Anderson in fantasy this week, knowing that Tredavious White was going to be all over that. And that's where I knew, you know, Gase was not, not even going to attempt that. He was, pe- he's going to pepper Jameson, um, and Le'Veon, who, like I said, I thought Bell looked fine. Um, Anunwa goes to the IR, so they bring in Demarius Thomas. I don't, you know, I don't trust, I, I guess we gotta be talking about the Bills, but the Bills defense is gonna be, I think it's gonna be really good. And then, you know, you have the Giants offense, you know, how good is that going to be? Like I said, against the Cowboys, they go to Saquon early and kind of get away from it as the game gets away from them. And that's where I kind of said in the podcast that I did like guys like Zeke and McCaffrey just because I think Barkley is going to be hit or miss, big play dependent, everything like that. Um, it's tough to take the Bills in back-to-back road games. They're actually playing in the same stadium for the same for the second straight week because they went to the Jets and the Giants. But it's back-to-back road games for them. you got the 0-1 
Giants against the Bills, who are 1-0. And like I was saying, Josh Allen was shooting himself in the foot when they really started to come back against the Jets is when they decided to um, get their run game involved or at least get their running backs a little bit more involved. Singletary ripped off a few big runs. All of a sudden, you hit that big bomb to John Brown. And I mean, it's 17-16. to 16. It's not like they had this offensive explosion in the second half, but they did find a way to take momentum into the second half. So, I mean, their offense is good, but I don't think it's good enough. The Giants' defense is really freaking bad. Potentially, they're going to be good at run, uh, defending the run, I think. It's just when you get a team like the Cowboys and Kellen Moore, and he's just going to spread them out, use motion, put these guys in bad situations. Um, DeAndre Baker, the rookie, got beat by Amari Cooper. Then they bench him for uh, Hamilton, you know, this guy who's just getting completely just, you know, used and abused by, you know, Michael Gallup's beating him, um, Randall Cobb's beating him. You know, they're just destroying their secondary. Antoine Bethea's getting beat over the middle. Alec Ogletree's getting beat. Um, you know, in coverage, they're going to struggle. Um, in coverage, but they can defend the run. And that's where I go to looking at the Bills saying, you know, they're not going to be able to. The Jets were a terrible pass defense and they put up 17 points, you know? Like, I'm not walking away from that saying the momentum of that game. Um, I do think it was good for the Bills and good for the fact that they're consistently buying into their young quarterback. I just don't think that, you know, traveling to the New York Giants again, I think the Giants will be able to defend the run and keep it close. I mean, I think this will be another 17-16 type game and you're going to be looking at the Bills, you know, potentially trying to, you know, bet on them or saying, you know, could Saquon be held in check to where, you know, 17, 16 points. So I'm pretty much staying away from this game altogether. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I would, you obviously start Saquon in your fantasy leagues, but not your DFS leagues, in my opinion. And then you don't, you know, Evan Ingram, you have to start him too, but I wouldn't like look to him a lot in DFS. Um, and then, yeah, I mean the bills, I don't trust their offense whatsoever in against this bad giants defense. Um, if you wanted to go back to John Brown, I could definitely see him, you know, hitting another big play, but I don't, I wouldn't trust anyone else in this, uh, Bill's defense at this spot. Yeah, Parks, I was going to ask you about um, Singletary and Gore because Singletary ended up out-snapping him 45-19, to 19, but I know you weren't crazy about him coming out of the draft. Right, and I do have to say that, you know, obviously kind of have to consistently move him up my ranks every week, but I'm consistently still behind the consensus. Um, and, you know, my fear here, um, yes, he's going to get the prime work over Frank Gore, but in the first half they were running with Frank Gore, and at the goal line they could potentially run with Frank Gore. So, okay, goal line you know, work is questionable, or there's some question in terms of his goal line work. Josh Allen is never going to check the football down to him, or he hardly ever will check the football down to him. Passing game work, questionable. He doesn't have deep burner speed, questionable. You know, So he could rip off and have you know 70 yards, have a similar stat line to what he had this week. I don't think it's going to be more than that, so um, I need to see a lot more from him, although like I said, um, you have to slowly continue to creep him up the ranks. Alright, Parks, moving on to the next one here, Niners at Bengals. The Niners went into Tampa Bay Parks and won 31-17. The Bengals fought against the Seahawks in Seattle, but ended up losing 21-20 there. The look-ahead line was Niners minus 2.5. The Bengals are favored this week, minus 1.5, minus 2 with a total at 45. Um, Tevin Coleman has been diagnosed with a high ankle sprain. He's probably going to miss multiple weeks there standard for that is usually two to six weeks but with the running back and all the cutting they do i imagine it'll be a little more there 
parks. Um, yeah, you can talk about those games in this week's matchup, and then uh, we do have a play in this game as well. Yeah, those high ankles are tough for running backs, so it's going to be a while for him. So, uh, yeah, we have uh, Brita is going to probably step up to the plate. I think he's in a really good spot in terms of this situation. Um, but kind of like I said in the Buccaneers preview was that I walked away from that game more concerned with the Bucks than I did impressed with what the 49ers did. Um, it was, what, two pick sixes in that game for the you know Buccaneers that the 49ers took back that were... You know, you could say a little scheme related here and there, but a lot of Jameis related, you know. Uh, and then Quan Alexander was banged up a little bit in this game. Bosa was a shining, you know, was shining in this game, but also was only playing rotationally. And, you know, one of his, you know, it was a lot of cleanup duty um, in terms of, you know, his production. So, uh, you know... I'm not like trying to rain on everything the 49ers did, but I'm also, I don't think that going on the road and winning that game, the way that they did 31-17, like you said, was all that impressive. And I think that's indicative in, like you said, the 49ers were favored. They win. The Bengals were, you know, home dogs and lost. And now all of a sudden the line moves to the Bengals are favored because I think that you walk away from that. And especially, you know, you also have, this is back-to-back road games on the East Coast for this West Coast San Francisco 49er team. So um, traveling, and doing everything like that with like I said it kind of is their defense is still forming together and I think that um, I thought the Buccaneers should have put up points on them and I don't walk away saying well the Niners really shut them down I should probably you know I do look at the Niners and say that they're going to eventually get their pass rush worked out but I don't think that it's necessarily worked out yet Um, I think that the interesting thing is um, Zach Taylor from um you know, Cincinnati, he had a pretty good game game plan against the Seahawks, and he was able to scheme some stuff open, and he was able to work the slot with Tyler Boyd. He was able to creep the safeties up and get John Ross exposed deep down the field, um, a lot of mismatches and things like that. And I think that you look at, to you know, Tavarius Moore is a starting free safety for the 49ers. You know, he was, like I said, a cornerback last season. Um, really, I thought he was going to be tested against guys like Evans, but Evans, you know, was really shut down by Sherman, and then Jameis really, you know, with that pass rush of the 49ers was unable to push the football down the field. I think that the Bengals might have a chance to um, be able to. I know their offensive line isn't necessarily all that great either, the Bengals. But being at home in this spot, coming back home, and then you have the other one where, you know, the 49ers being 1-0, the Bengals being 0-1. I think the Bengals will be playing just a little bit tougher. But yeah, like I said, I think the Bengals hung tough in Seattle. Um, it, was a, it was a good game plan by Zach Taylor. Their defense played pretty well in terms of Sam Hubbard was just awesome in that game. And uh, I thought Jesse Bates, you know, their safety, I still think he's, you know, decent, pretty good. So you kind of look at the 49ers. The other thing with Jimmy G was... Um, he just looks, he's, it's his, what, first, it was his first game back, you know, he had a couple preseason games and didn't really look all that great in them, but he didn't really look all that great in, in against the Buccaneers either, you know, and I, that's where I'm saying with the Panthers, I think that they could actually score on the Bucks, and the 49ers got a couple defensive touchdowns and it wasn't that impressive offensive performance. Um, Jimmy G looked, you know, hesitant against pressure, kind of always, you know, leaning off of his back foot, a little bit turning, t- you know, away from the pressure and everything like that. So, um, you know, Sam Hubbard, Geno Atkins, um, you know, Michael, uh, or what's his name, Carlos Dunlap, all the guys like that, you know, potentially getting after them. Could be a lot for Jimmy G in that second, you know, in a tough spot for a 10 a.m. start. So they could potentially get off to a slow start. And then you could see the Bengals, 
you know, just be able to win this game. That's that's where my head is at for this one so far. Um, as far as oh, the other one that I just want to bring up is that Debo Samuel is the Niners' number one receiver, and I would probably buy him in fantasy at this point because he didn't have a good stat line. I don't think he he did, but um, he's the number one receiver over Dante Pettis and of pretty much over everybody at this point. Um, it really was that Jimmy G played poorly. Uh, the Buccaneers uh, or the defense had all those touchdowns to keep the Buccaneers' offense on the field. And I think Debo also had a fumble in this game, but he is their number one receiver and they're going to throw the ball to him. Like some of these games, he's going to start to break out as the season goes on. Dante Pettis is in the doghouse big time. So um, it'll be Debo mainly with Goodwin on the outside and then um, a guy like Richie James potentially in the slot. So that's pretty much what they're looking at. Also, George Kittle had two touchdowns called back. Um, That's worth mentioning. So I think Kittle and Debo and Brita are really the guys to, you know, be looking for um, in terms of fantasy and everything like that. But I mean, I don't love the 49ers until I see more from their offense. And like I said, I thought the Bengals um, offense was a little more impressive than I thought. And their defense always has some talent. So um, I think they could, you know, just squeak by in this game. As far as the total, I have it like 24-20 Bengals, you know, something like that, 24-23. So I could see it, you know, really either way with the total, but I think that's about right. Um, So yeah, not too much there. I do think Brita will be a great play um, as the season goes on in fantasy because he's going to be their number one runner and they're going to run the ball a lot. Yeah, Parks, so we ended up playing the Bengals money line at minus 122 for a unit. Moving on to the Chargers at the Lions, another 1 o'clock here, Parks. Look ahead line was minus 2.5 on Tuesday, and someone came out with a minus 3.5 last Wednesday. Um, you can get minus 2.5 and, and minus 3, so that didn't really change. 47.5 to 48 on the total there, Parks. Like I mentioned, um, with the Colts already, the Chargers won an overtime game, 30-24 to 24 at home against Indianapolis. And the Lions ended up tying the Arizona Cardinals 27-27. Um, like I said, Parks, the Lions were up 24-6 to 6 and then kind of went into a prevent defense. Prior to switching to that look, they held Arizona to drive distance of 5-4-9-2, 11-6-5, minus 3, and 3 yards, Parks. Um, what did you see when watching those games? Yeah, I mean, I talked about it with the Cardinals that Matt Patricia, with the fact that his, the, what's so crazy is that his whole entire identity is running the football and closing teams out in the fourth quarter. Like that is, that's what he stands for. That's exactly what he didn't do. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's not just that he didn't do it. It's that he didn't do it against the worst run defense. Like they're going to be a bad run defense. And the fact that he continues to put in CJ Anderson to continue to get carry on Johnson out of a rhythm is just crazy <laughs> to me. So, you know, the fact only Matt Patricia could have blown that game to Kyler Murray like he did. So, um, I don't think the Lions are going to be very good whatsoever this season. Um, And like I said, I did think that they should have, you know, should have, could have, would have beat the Cardinals. But I still, you know, the fact that they couldn't finish off that game against the Cardinals, um, that really kind of tells you. And, you know, that does look, it was almost more of a win for the Cardinals and a loss for the Lions, at least the feel of those games. So you walk into this one saying that, um, you know, uh, TJ Hawkinson, first of all, is the real deal. Um, there's no doubt about it. Like rookie tight ends usually don't pick up an offense. Uh, it just, he's the real, he's completely different and he picked it up pretty much seamlessly. He's a good route runner. Um, a really strong blocker was really one of the safest players in this draft. And, you know, everyone was saying is how high he went a reach. And I was saying, you know, potentially, but I, I, at the same time, potentially I might've even made that, you know, 
pick. So um, Hawkinson's the real deal, um, and he's going to be good in this you know team. But you look at the Chargers, and one of the things that I was talking about is that they're trying to get so multiple, and they drafted so many linebackers because they're looking for you know their whole entire existence is to stop Ty, uh, Travis Kelsey in terms of the tight end. So I really think this is a great chance for the Chargers to um, you know just kind of show who they are in terms of being able to you know defend tight ends like that, and also being able to defend the run. Because, like I said, Marlon Mack was able to hit a big one, and the Colts were able to run the ball pretty consistently on them. They drafted Jerry Tillery because um, the Patriots just completely, um, you know, punked them on the ground in that uh, that first game in the playoffs, and they really had to, you know, sure up their run defense because they were playing, you know, too too thin almost in their front. So they added Tillery. You know, struggled a little bit in that regard, but I think that they're going to um, have good success against Hawkinson, or at least have a game plan for Hawkinson, and then come in with a mindset to shut down the run. And uh, I do think that because of they're going to have issues in terms of their second cornerback, they're going to have issues in terms of their safety. The Chargers are so um, you know Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay potentially could be decent plays. Um, don't love them because I just don't think the Lions' offense is you know just like innovative enough, I guess you could potentially say. And um, I think that you look at, uh, what's his name? They had struggles against Chandler Jones and Terrell Suggs. And I think Chandler Jones is great. I think Suggs is obviously a little bit older, but he's still really good. Um, Bosa and Ingram were just amazing against the Colts, you know, who have really talented tackles. Um, Decker really struggled in that game for the Lions. So I think Bosa and Ingram are going to have um, real-time, real success against the Lions, help out that secondary that I do think is going to be problematic at times for the Chargers. So um, I think that, you know, the pass rush of the of the Chargers, along with the fact that Patricia wants to get into this, like, slow, grind them out, knockout, drag out kind of game, has me thinking that the Lions are not going to put up a ton of points. And then you look at the Chargers and you say that, um, yeah, the Colts were giving up big plays, missing tackles. Well, why didn't, you know, how did that game go into overtime? Their offensive line is having some serious issues right now. You know, Okung's out. Um, the right tackle's a big-time liability. They're trying to shuffle Forrest Lamp um, back from an ACL in at guard. So they really, you know, like three or four of their O-line spots are pretty questionable at this point. And you look at the line and say, well, how did they get up on, uh, you know, Kyler Murray and them? Well, they have a decent defense front who can really, you know, they're going to shut down the run. They're going to force, you know, and then Hunter Henry's um, out for four to six weeks. I thought he actually, um, he could have been a really good DFS play this week, but now he's, you know, now he's out of there. What their Chargers are going to do though, because they don't have another tight end, you know, worthwhile on the roster, is they're going to, Justin Jackson's going to play more and they're going to motion Eckler and he's going to catch little dump offs and he's going to, they're going to use jet sweep a ton. But I mean, uh, Patricia had the great game plan for the jet sweep of the Rams. So I think that the offensive line of the Chargers on the road in this spot really scares me. I think that Matt Patricia scares me a lot more. And I walk away from this saying that, you know, I think the Chargers will find a way to get by. I think it'll be, I think I said like 23-21 Chargers, something like that. Um, but that has me looking to the under in this game, thinking that um, the, the Detroit defensive line is going to get after Rivers. Um, that's a mismatch. And Bosa and Ingram against Stafford, along with the philosophy of um, the Lions at home where they would potentially control you know the tempo of this game I think that they're going to want to control it to a slow game and that's going to leave Rivers in the game to where he's going to be in there long enough and he's going to score you know just enough points to win a close road game against the Lions so that's where I look under yeah Park you end up playing under 48 uh, minus 106 for two units 
can. Under 24 uh, total first half points at even money for one unit. And then we took the Chargers money line at minus 126 for a unit. Parks, um, all, Anthony Lynn is said he's absolutely concerned about Mike Williams' knee. So that's just, you know, another thing that Rivers could just be checking a ball down and, you know, hitting Keenan out of the slot there. So I'm with you on going under there, Parks. Do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, just I do think Keenan Allen because, um, yeah, without Henry and without Williams, they're going to funnel it to Allen, which is going to be um, somewhat slow and methodical, you know, with the way that Allen works. It'll be like, you know, 14 catches for 120 yards, but, you know, he'll kind of consistently move the chains and that does play into our under, although he'll have a, probably a good DFS day. Yeah, Parks, moving on to the next one here. Another one that you have plays in um, Vikings at the Packers. The Vikings took care of business in their home opener with a 28 to 12 win against the Falcons. Um, the Packers ended up going into Chicago and getting a 10 3 road win on that Thursday night kickoff game. Parks, the look ahead line was Green Bay by three, up to maybe a three and a half, and we're getting Green Bay by three across the board with a total of 44 to 45 parks um in that game i'm sure we'll talk about but cousins only had 10 passing attempts against the falcons and a little fact for the packers bears 17 punts more than the total points which was 13 so i mean this one like the it's really easy in terms of like the first off analysis of this you say okay the chicago bears were the former division champs went to green bay and they were laying three points in green bay right or no they were at home weren't they yeah, uh, I was off on that one. Either way, the fact of the matter is the Vikings are better than the Packers, right? Like there's just you have to look at it and say that when you if you line these two teams up, the Vikings are better than the Packers. So the Bears, in terms of that game, they sh- pretty much should have won that game. Like, okay, <laughs> Mitch Trubisky was really bad, and Matt Nagy had like a really like he got way too cute in terms of his game plan too. The Packers scored ten points. Like they got off the hook, you know, because the Bears were um, even more miserable. But the Packers, you know, kind of got off the hook in you know in terms of okay, the the Bears have a pretty good defense too. But you look into the Minnesota Vikings, they seem to have a pretty Pretty good defense. So um, the biggest issue for the Packers was their uh, interior offensive line play, and you kind of think that with uh, you know Linval Joseph, they should be able to get after it. Uh, you look at the you know the cornerback secondary matchup. Xavier Rhodes um, really stepped up last week, had a pretty big game, um, and then what's his name on the other side? Trey Waynes is kind of a deep speed threat. So Rhodes will take on uh, Devonte Adams on the outside, and then the deep th- you know the deep speed of. Marquez Valdez scaling, you know, he caught a big time, you know, 60 yard pass down the field, but you also have, um, you know, what's his name? Uh, Trey Waynes will be able to potentially contain that. They also, uh, the Vikings went to dime a ton and they were able to um, get, uh, what's his name? J Ron curse from Clemson. They've really like worked on him and developed him and he's slowly becoming kind of a key piece for them um, in terms of like a dime uh, type linebacker. And they can almost sometimes because uh, Mackenzie Alexander was out um, or was banged up from last week they were able to keep their linebackers on the field and keep him as an extra safety and it's kind of like a nickel look but it you know it kind of is like a heavier you know nickel look um and that's you know that's what Zimmer does for the most part I also think that Zimmer is um I think he knows that he has a really good team this season and um you know they came out they blocked a punt against the uh 
you know, the Falcons, Matt Ryan had two interceptions. He threw a ton of, um, you know, blitzes at Matt Ryan. The, the Falcons offensive line is also going to be an issue, but I think that the Packers offensive line is going to be an issue. I think that they're going to, um, yeah, just really kind of struggle to get their offense going. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was that um, LaFleur, the Packers head coach, he got his first, everyone kind of associates him with Sean McVay and thinks that he would be a nobody without Sean McVay, but he got his first, he got in the door with the Houston Texans with uh, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. And that's why I always say Shanahan has a lot of, to do with um, a lot of these younger coaches as well. But the head coach of that team was Gary Kubiak, um, who is the, he's pretty much the offensive coordinator now for the Minnesota Vikings. So um, they, you know, Kubiak like taught LaFleur everything that he knows for the most part in terms of his run game. And um, if you look at, you know, especially in terms of the way that they're going to use their players, uh, LaFleur is going to use Aaron Jones, just like Dalvin Cook. They're going to use Jamal Williams, just like Alexander Madison. And they're going to run the outside zone. You know, like I, it's just Kubiak is the master of it. LaFleur is this young baby face, you know, guy kind of, kind of paving his way. So um, I think that the Vikings will have some serious success in terms of the Defending the run with the Packers, and I think that the fear that you have from watching that Bears-Packers game is that LaFleur, coming from his Kubiak roots, is going to rely heavily on the run game, but he's going to mix and match Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, who I think eventually it's going to be Dexter Williams, and that's going to um, hopefully in the long run you know, be something, but um, it's going to be Aaron Jones for the most part, but I don't really like the Packers on offense in this matchup um, for the most part, really. you know, I didn't like what I saw against the, the Bears in terms of their play call. And I don't like their matchup in terms of, I think it's similar personnel with the Vikings on the defensive side of the football. Then you look to the offensive side and, um, you know, Kirk Cousins had 10 passes. That's not going to happen again, but... If you listen to our podcast and where we previewed the Minnesota Vikings, they did everything that we said in that week one game against the Falcons. And like I said, yeah, Matt Ryan um, struggled, block punt. They got down early on the road and kind of just got flustered and got, you know, their asses kicked a little bit. But you also have to look at that and say that, like I said, I think Mike Zimmer knows what he has with this team and he knows how he can run the football. And they got Irv Smith involved. Um, Kyle Rudolph blocked, I think, on like 90% of his snaps. So they're going to go too wide a ton, right? So you got Diggs and uh, Thielen on the outsides. You got Irv Smith is like a chess piece. He's a move player. And then Kyle Rudolph is just a blocker. And with that, you can throw the football and they're going to throw the football to Cooks and Th- or to Diggs and Thielen. Um, and Irv Smith is going to, you know, underneath a little bit, move around a little bit. And then Dalvin Cook can even catch the football, but when they're going to be able to run the football in a variety of ways. And Cook is, I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the NFL when he's healthy. The question is, can you keep him healthy? I said that he's never going to get much over 25 carries. The game plan, in my opinion, is going to consistently be 20 carries for Cook, 10 carries for Madison. If you start to go over, I think that starts to go to Madison because if you're running the football over 30 times, that means that you're closing teams out. In, in the first game, it was 29 for Cook, 9 for Madison. Madison looked great in that game, had nine rushes for 40 yards, looked more explosive than you even would have thought, in my opinion. Didn't finish off a run. that He almost finished off a run for a touchdown. But um, I think he's going to be involved in this offense every game for that 10 to 12 carry roll. It's going to keep Cook fresh for 20 carries, and then Cook's going to explode on teams. You look at the Packers and say, okay, they have Mike Dan- or 
they got rid of Mike Daniels. They have Kenny Clark and uh, Dean Lowry. They just signed him. So they have a decent front up front. It's going to be Garrett Bradbury, the rookie from, um, for the Vikings on the road. Him and Pat Elfline, you know, they were pretty good in terms of their first start. Obviously, you know, they ran all over Atlanta. But um, the biggest question for the Packers right now is, beside Blake Martinez, they don't really have another linebacker. You know, Oren Burks is out. And, um, you know, what was really weird, we're going to talk about, you know, Matt Nagy's game plan um, here in a second. But I think Anthony Miller is like really banged up because he he used Tarek Cohen as like a just a pure slot receiver. And it's like that's it's it was smart in ways. And it was everything I said in ways. We'll talk about that later. But either way, the. The, he got way too cute, and the Packers were able to put his name's like LaRaven Green on the field, and he's like a 190 pound linebacker, like legitimately, like he's under 200 pounds and he's a linebacker, and um, I think that they're gonna run straight at him, and I don't think that the Packers have anybody in that second level who can really get out and defend the run. So I mean, I honestly, I'm I'm fascinating. At, fascinated and interested to see like I said I don't think Cousins is going to throw the ball like like 20 times and we told you to sell on Cousins because the attempts are not going to be there this season it's not going to be 10 but the attempts are not going to be there this season and um, Zimmer's looking around at the league saying you got this great nickel cornerback you got this great nickel safety you know that's the headliners on Green Bay's defense but like we're going to run the football on you like hard and I I think that it's going to be interesting to see so I think the Vikings ability to stop the run along with I think that their ability to run the football and I'm interested to see because now you have a situation where if they can win this game, the Packers are one and one and you have a road win over them and the Bears are at Denver this week and they're 0 and one. So could the Vikings all of a sudden be in the driver's seat? And is, if Dalvin Cook stays healthy, you know, how good, could, you know, could they win the division? You know, could they run to the playoffs? I'm actually, um, I may take them to win the division um, if you think that they're going to beat the Packers. Well, Parks, you, um, I'm pretty sure you do think that they're going to beat the Packers. You have Vikings plus three. You have two unit bet on that, half a unit on their money line at plus 135, Parks. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Mackenzie Alexander left last game is out Sunday. Mike Hughes is questionable. Um, Pat Elfine did not practice Wednesday, but he might get a limited practice in before Friday. Um, do you have any concerns about that? No, yeah, we'll kind of see about those as we go. All right, Parks, moving on here to Jaguars at Texans. Um, the Jaguars, Parks, lost 40-26 at home to Kansas City. Houston lost the heartbreaker on the road in New Orleans, 30-28 to there, Parks. Um, Nick Foles ended up breaking his collarbone. Gardner Minshew looked pretty solid filling in for him. Um, they also acquired Josh Dobbs from the Steelers in exchange for a fifth-round pick in 2020. Um, looking at the look-ahead line was minus three, minus three and a half, but that was factoring in with Foles playing parks. We're up to minus eight and a half, all the way up to minus nine and a half some places with a total of 43 to 43 and a half there, Parks. Um, how do you feel about this matchup, and what did you see in their first games? Yeah, I mean, obviously with Gardner Minshew, um, honestly, what the Chiefs did in that game was Steve Spagnuolo, it was his first game, he was on the road, they had a lead, and he said that there's no way in hell I'm going to let this rookie quarterback come back and beat me. So he was extremely bland, extremely vanilla, extremely, um, let's just, you know, they kind of, I wouldn't say called off the dogs, but they said, you know, keep it in front of us and keep it in balance, let the clock run. And Minshew wasn't, you know, he was completing passes. 
I have a podcast on Minshew where I actually talk about, I'm kind of excited to see him play in the NFL. I think it's going to be a fun little experiment to see how he does. Um, I think he's going to get tested at times. I don't, I don't look at the Texans defense and see, you know, a ton of fear, honestly. I think that, you know, Watt had a, a pretty decent game against the Saints. The Jaguars offensive line is nothing like them, but the Jaguars real weaknesses right now are in terms of their tackles on the edges. So, you know, they just lost to Davian Clowney. The Texans did, um, you know, so Merciless could have a decent little game, but you know, I don't like the Texans secondary right now. Um, they just cut Aaron Colvin because he got absolutely abused. Um, I just don't like anybody in their secondary at this point. And the other thing is with the Jaguars, um, you know, everyone keeps saying their defense is so good. Their defense is so good. That was just Mahomes. That was just Mahomes. I'm saying, man, they don't have Telvin Smith and their safeties are bad. Like there's just no way of, of like, it's not what it was two years ago because they don't have the same players. Like it's just not what it was right now. So I don't think that their defense is like all that great. But um, at the same time, the biggest strength of their defense, the Jaguars, is that they can consistently get, you know, they can rotate four guys on that defensive line pretty easily. And Josh Allen had a pretty big game in his first week. And you look at that Texans offensive line, you know, as that Saints game went on, uh, you know, the pockets collapsed on Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson was amazing in that game, um, but he was he was done no favors. Um, Duke Johnson was excellent in pass protection. He had 66% of the snaps while Hyde had 34. I would con- continue to expect Duke Johnson to um, slowly start to take over. And really, I mean, I think that's about the mix, but I would expect more um, receptions from Duke Johnson uh, coming forward a little bit. But... Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like I said, with the other Texans, I mean, you would usually be afraid of Hopkins. Hopkins is, you know, kind of bulletproof. You know, no d- defense is going to scare you off that. Will Fuller, I would be interested in starting him. Kenny Stills is, you know, he caught like a touchdown, but he had like two or three receptions. They tried to get him involved in that lateral movement, which is what Kiki did a lot. So, you know, he, they're trying to replace that speed with Kiki. And when they get Kiki back, they're going to go four wide and have a ton of speed because they're kind of just wasting snaps with tight ends at the skill position spot. They don't have anybody at tight end worthwhile. So that's where I look at this game and I say, you know, okay, I want to fade Minshew in some regards due to, um, I don't think, you know, that impressive performance against the Chiefs was anything. I think that that was a vanilla defense and him taking what was given, which I mean, listen, he was extremely prepared to start a week one game as a backup quarterback, a rookie, you know, fifth round pick. That's impressive as hell, you know, but I don't think he's, I think there's going to be times where he's throwing pick sixes and he's getting sacked heavily and he's not physically good enough or yeah kind of that's just how you you have to say it sometimes but um, I also don't think that the Texans are just going to run away with this game I think that the Texans offensive line is going to you know the Jaguars are going to give them fits and I think that Minshew is going to keep you know against that secondary going to keep them around just enough to where I actually think that you know especially in the you know with this over a touchdown in the back door um, if I had to I'd probably take the Jags and the points thinking that they'll actually get through because um, a lot of people liked what they saw from the Texans and I did too it was impressive Deshaun Watson was great but the fears are the fears were always their offensive line and their secondary and what happened you know Trey Hendrickson is just destroying uh, their offensive line, you know, for the Saints, and they're getting ran all over. They're getting thrown all over. Um, so still kind of scared about that. That's where I would say, you know, 
I would probably, I don't know about the total, probably look over, over if anything. Um, don't love any of the, you know, Jaguars skill players. I do think that Fournette will have a decent game, um, but that's about it for that. Sounds like a game just to uh, watch and learn from their parks. The last one o'clock here, Patriots at the Dolphins. Patriots, like I mentioned, beat Steelers at home 33-3, and Miami lost 59-10 at home to the Ravens parks. The look-ahead line before those games were played were minus 9.5 and, and minus 11. We're now looking at minus 18 and a half and minus 19, which could creep into one of the biggest spreads ever. 47 and a half to 48 on the total there, Parks. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick was pulled in the second half of week one against the Ravens. Um, he didn't look very good. Resin came in and also didn't look very good, Parks. Um, what did you see in those games and how do you see this one going besides the Patriots win? Yeah, I mean, for the Dolphins, I, I don't really care about them. You know, they're going to tank this season. So, yeah, I, I mean, they benched, you know, me. Fitzpatrick and Rashad Jones halfway through this uh, game and like I said with Lamar Jackson there were situations I mean there wasn't scheme in this game like people are saying oh how those players calling their agents you know and I'm saying the, the team is they're tanking like there was no scheme they were rushing three Lamar was hanging back there and letting stuff develop um you know the coaches aren't worried about it they're not worried about it I think that eventually Fitzpatrick will probably get benched again in this game and then Rosen will come on and then maybe you know I don't know who their opponent is next week but eventually Rosen will start it's just I think they're wasting time not starting Rosen I think it would be a great test and I think Belichick would do his buddy some favors Brian Flores and he would throw some stuff at Rosen you know (laughs) it's a regular season game I'm saying Belichick will do him some favors but I mean what are the Dolphins playing for you know there's really nothing to take away from this game. You start every Patriot you possibly can. Um, AB, I, I think he's going to play. So, I mean, it's what, Wednesday night? Uh, so, I mean, all that stuff's out. I think he's going to play. The Patriots, I love that everyone says, oh, w- wait till one distraction from AB and the Patriots cut his ass. Yeah, are they cutting him right now? Yeah, they, they think that they're going to win and go undefeated. So, that's what they're doing. So, they don't really care about AB and his situation. Until he goes to jail, then they're going to cut him. But, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to speculate. I'm not a lawyer. That's all I got. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would start the Patriots, or yeah, I don't know. I, the spread is ridiculous, and that's where I'm saying it is. It, it is Brian Flores who. Like Belichick really and like Brady, they have a lot of respect for Flores. I don't know if they're gonna they're not gonna do what the Ravens did, that's for sure. So I mean, do they win 34 to 10? Yeah, maybe, you know, but like is it 34-17? I mean, maybe, you know. I don't think they're gonna just completely embarrass them, but we'll see. Yeah, Parks and the Dolphins go to Dallas week three, which will be my survivor pick that week. Um <laughs> Yeah, and I think I really do think the Patriots, uh, their offensive line and their defense are so good that their biggest issue is skill play. The fact that they added Josh Gordon and AB since our last podcast, um, they, they should win the whole thing, so we'll see. Yeah, Parks, that does it for the 1 o'clocks here. We're moving on. We have three 4 o'clock starts here. The first one, 405, Chiefs at Raiders. Look ahead line was minus 7, minus 6.5 for the Chiefs. You're getting minus 7.5 across the board right now with a total hovering between 52.5 to 53.5. The Chiefs, like I mentioned, took care of business on the road 40 to 26 against Jacksonville um, the Raiders won 
touchdown at home against the Broncos, 24-16. Sammy Watkins exploded their parks, and um, Tyree Kill is going to miss some time parks. So what did you see in those games, and how do you see this one going? Yeah, every year the second Monday night football game um, is always the one that you have to throw out, and you always forget about it, but it's always such a funky game. And I think it did benefit the Raiders that um, legitimately A.B. didn't practice with them. So like, it's not like they actually lost Antonio Brown. They just he was technically on the roster for you know their offseason but um yeah you look at the Raiders I don't really walk away from that game against Denver you know too impressed I think a lot of that has to do with the the Denver's offensive line started falling apart and it was bad to begin with you know that's why they hired Munchak and Fangio has a lot of work to do with that defense that we're going to you know obviously talk about as the season goes on and I think that the Raiders come out with that hype of you know screw AB we got the fans here for the last you know season or yeah last season Monday Night Football it's a wonky situation to begin with they get off to a little bit of a lead Emmanuel Sanders is slipping all over the field Um, you know stuff like that and you know I don't think the Broncos are necessarily going to be good to begin with so a lot of people are walking away and saying you know hey the Raiders feel good maybe they're going to be good this year maybe this is the year for them and I'm saying you know hey let's all just pump the brakes on this and you know let's not think that them beating Denver was necessarily as impressive as you know you would think Um, in terms of fantasy the good news is Josh Jacobs got 25 touches and Gruden said, I hope, you know, because that was actually, you know, the most he's ever had. I think he even said in high school, he never touched the ball that much in a game. So, you know, that was one of the biggest questions with Jacobs. My question is over 16 games, how long does that last? But over two weeks, I bet he could do it again next week, you know? And then you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and say, yes, they shut down Fournette, Nick Foles, the comeback, you know, they were playing defense, everything like that. Um, I don't really take away from that. I think you know, Josh Jacobs will have a really big game in this one. Darren Waller will be interesting because um, for like what since uh, since Danny Trevathan when they won the Super Bowl, the Broncos, and even technically then the Broncos just do not defend tight ends. They haven't been able to defend tight ends for like eight years, <laughs> legitimately. And um, I, you know, Fangio. One one of the things that surprised me was that he always immediately addresses the middle linebacker position, and he did not this off season. And um, I, you know, so they got exposed a little bit in terms of Jacobs and Waller, but I think that as the season goes on, Jacobs and Waller are really going to be potential pieces that they come throw this offense through. So Waller, you know, I kind of was saying sell, sell, but I mean, at least through week two, I think he's going to be another good bet in week two, but it's really for the, for the defense or for the offense. It's really those two. Tyrell Williams is obviously used to the chiefs. He could have a decent little game there, but, um, you don't really, I mean, I think the Chiefs defense will actually be okay as the season goes on. You know, Frank Clark into the mix, Honey Badger into the mix, Juan Thornhill, the rookie, into the mix in terms of their secondary. So I think they'll be fine. And um, I think the Chiefs offense, you know, okay, they're going to lose Tyreek Hill, but um, the Chiefs or the Raiders are going to lose uh, Gary on Conley. I think Gary on Conley will be out. We'll see. He had a scary moment on the field. And Jonathan Abrams out for the season. So, you know, they spent a lot of, those are heavy, those are first round picks, two of them. Both of them are first round picks. So, Trayvon Mullen, the rookie, will step up a little bit, but I'm also, you know, I'm not walking away from that game saying that the uh, the Raiders' pass rush is improved with 
you know, with Farrell after one game. I think that goes back to the Broncos offensive line. So I think the Chiefs will be able to, you know, keep the offensive line in check. I don't think the Raiders have anyone, you know, if Burfick's defending Kelsey, I think Kelsey will get get free. Um, I think Shady looked really good. Um, and then Damian Williams was a great pass catcher too. So they're going to mix and match those two. And they're going to, you know, expose matchups. And that's going to create um, the open field or the middle field linebackers and safeties for Kelsey. That Those two are going to help Kelsey. And then Miko Hardman will be in the Tyreek Hill role, but I mean, if you saw Sammy Watkins, he looked pretty freaking good too, and um, obviously Mahomes looked pretty good himself, so I don't think the Chiefs necessarily run away with it. It is their first game with Tyreek. It is on the road, but I mean, you know, like 31-20, something like that. I mean, even that does technically cover for the Chiefs. Nonetheless, I'm basically saying that, you know, especially with Ortiz, Ortiz is saying that the Raiders are not going to go 2-0 by beating the Chiefs. I think that the Chiefs are looking at the Patriots, and I think that there's two teams in the AFC that can make the Super Bowl at this point, um, and it's those two, and they need to win every single game because uh, the Chiefs don't want to go to New England, and they know that the Patriots, Tom Brady usually doesn't play like that in week one. Um, I think he's on a mission this year to go, you know, to win as many games as possible, so... Um, those two are on a collision course, and I think they're going to keep winning. Yeah, like you mentioned, Pars, we did that six-point teaser with the Panthers down. Basically, Panthers just need to win. Chiefs minus one and a half, down from seven and a half. Just put a unit on that one. Um, looking at the next game here, Parks, the next 425 start, Saints at Rams. Look ahead line was Rams minus two and a half, minus three. We're getting minus two and a half with a total of 52 to 53. Like I mentioned with uh, the Texans, the Saints ended up winning at home with the last second field goal, 30 to 28. And the Rams squeaked out a 30 to 27 road win in Carolina. Notes I have from that game, Parks. Golf continues to struggle on the road. Gurley limited to 15 touches, and Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson were the only one that got goal line carries. Yeah, right. And I mean, it's going to be interesting. This is one that I haven't looked too, too far into yet and don't have a real feel for yet because, um, yeah, I mean, it's a revenge game for the Saints for sure, and they should have it circled. And um, But, you know, at the same time, last second, late night, Monday night football, you know, win, and now they have to travel. I know the Rams have to technically travel as well, you know, to come back home. So, you know, I don't have a, a huge feel for this one. I thought Breeze, as the game went on, looked a little bit sharper, but I mean, he threw one deep pass, and I, I, th- I don't think the Texans secondary is very good, so I'm still a little bit concerned with Breeze. I thought Kamara was obviously insanely electric. I think he's going to go off against the Rams because I think, you know, Chris, he's going to do just what Christian McCaffrey did to them last week, and I think actually Latavius Murray, you know, I think he had a big touchdown run against the Texans, could see him doing very similar in a very similar role as well. It's worth noting that Kamara was usually in like a 66-33 type of split with Ingram. It was closer to like 70-30, maybe 75-25 with Murray in this game or in the first game. That's at least worth looking into. Um, I think that's about it for this one so far because like I said, I haven't gotten too far into it. Oh, PJ Williams for the Saints is going to be an issue. Uh, I think uh, really uh, for what the Rams do, they're going to put, you know, Cooks in there a little bit in the slot on him. They're going to put, uh, what's his name, Uh, Cup in there a little bit. I think Marshawn Lattimore for the most part will be on Woods. So that's where I kind of like Cup and Cooks a little bit more than them. And also the Rams have, uh, because Bill Belichick exposed them, you know, they're going to try to get away from 11 person they ran the least amount of 11 personnel in Sean McVay's career as a play caller on Sunday. Uh, they got two tight ends on the field. I'm saying, uh, you know, the reason we drafted Daryl Henderson is supposed to get two running backs on the field. So we'll see about that. But um, they, I mean, Gurley 
Gurley and Gurley and Malcolm Brown are in clearly defined roles, right? They're going to mix and match. Gurley's going to take two. Brown's going to take one. Brown's going to take the goal line work. Gurley has arthritis in his knees and is going to get like 15 carries and they're going to be high efficient carries, but he's not going to get more than that. And Brown is going to get that every other. What I'm saying is you need a jet sweep player like Daryl Henderson if they could get them both on the field at the same time, I think it's going to be, it's going to be good. Um, I think Henderson is just slowly getting into the mix of the NFL, just the speed of it and everything like that. And, you know, they, he, they used him a lot in the preseason to get used to it. Um, I think he's just a little bit behind, so we'll see. But I think that the fact of the matter is McVay, he's diversifying his personnel this season, whether it be two tight ends or two running backs. So um, that's where, you know, the girly Brown thing, I think is going to be a mess. I think, you know, once they start, if Henderson can get it, and be that second running back who adds a jet sweep element. That's all we need. But um, he hasn't gotten it yet. So we're going to see because, I mean, they're still doing the jet sweep stuff, obviously. But um, the other thing, you know, Trey Hendrickson is better than Marcus Davenport. Uh, the, the Saints traded two first round picks for Marcus Davenport, drafted Trey Hendrickson in like the fifth round. Trey Hendrickson's better than him. So uh, I think that the, the Saints defense looked pretty good. Their defensive line with Malcolm Brown and with Hendrickson, you know, looked good. Also, how much of that is the, the you know, uh, what? What's it called of the Texans? But yeah, I mean, the, the Rams um, also looked, uh, you know, their offensive line on the road with a new center and a new right guard looked pretty good. So this is where, you know, this is just a learning game for me with two teams that, you know, should be pretty good. I have some real questions on both sides. So I'm just looking on both sides for this one. Yeah, Barson, Eric Riddle is in uh, concussion protocol right now, but McVay said he anticipates him to be ready to go. Um, the only other one of note, Sheldon Rankin's Achilles is questionable, but both of them I imagine they're going to play. Moving on to the last 4 o'clock game here, Parks, Bears at the Broncos. The Bears, like I mentioned, ended up losing to the Packers at home, 10-3. to And... The Broncos lost in Oakland 24-16. Look ahead line was Denver pick and Bears minus one. We're looking at Bears minus two and a half with a total of 40-40 to and a half right now. Parks, um, only note I have is Broncos had zero sacks and zero quarterback hits on Derek Carr Monday night. I saw he got the ball out like average of like 2.2 seconds, something something crazy fast. But um, do you have some thoughts on those games? Yeah, and like you said with Eric Weddle, Taylor Rapp played really well when uh, Weddle came in or when Weddle came out and he's going to play more as like a dime linebacker. So the Rams are going to live, be able to live in dime because he's such a sound tackler. So that was actually a, not like a blessing in disguise, but the fact that they were able to throw rap in there and he succeeded so well is really good for them. So, uh, but yeah, the bears and the Broncos is really a fascinating game here because Matt Nagy against Vic Fangio. Um, they obviously know each other well, you know, coached with each other last season, but what I keep, you know, saying is, uh, um, or at least thinking about is that Fangio, you know, he he interviewed for the Bears job, you know, when Matt Nagy interviewed for it, you know, Fangio was there with John Fox beforehand and just, you know, stayed with him because I think he knew how good his defense was. Nagy gave him full control of the defense and, you know, kind of just let Nagy do his thing on the offense. I'm not saying that they don't like each other, but I am saying that I think that Fangio, you know, he's going to, this is a huge game for Vic Fangio really because, you know, he's, he's an old, old dude and he's been waiting for a while to get his coaching debut. And um, now it's his former team. Uh, what I mentioned about Fangio as well is that even more so than Matt Nagy okay Matt Nagy 
the rumors are and the reports are that even the Chiefs and Matt Nagy had Mitch Trubisky ranked over Mahomes. That's the rumors. I don't necessarily know. You know, we'll uh, we'll probably never know about that. But the rumors are that. But the fact is, Vic Fangio was in the room when they drafted um, Mitch Trubisky. Right? He was there with John Fox, and he knows John Fox did not want to draft Mitch Trubisky. That's pretty true too. Um, that's more true than even the other rumors, in my opinion. From what I've you know, just from what I know. But either way. Fangio knows a lot about Mitch Trubisky's weaknesses. Is you know that's that's the thing, and he's seen a lot of what Matt Nagy draws up. Those two have talked a lot philosophically. I think that there are ways where Matt Nagy can look at Vic Fangio, and I've talked about Vic Fangio, and you know there's a lot of talk about Vic Fangio that oh he's the greatest this and that this and that. He's a great defensive coordinator, but he's also he's not like it's hard to say that he's simple, but he is somewhat simple in terms of his defensive game plan. It's really just like straight up in how he plays it that he kind of just throws throws everything he has right at you and kind of just moves along to the next one but either way I think that Nagy could have some success against Fangio my fear is that Trubisky and that he you know Fangio just knows how to push his buttons and that when he has Von Miller and Bradley Chubb being able to attack in the different ways that he's able to um, that scares me you look at the Bears in that game Matt Nagy got way too cute really just tried to be something you know just in the big issue is that it always seems to happen with him um, and Trubisky in the big spotlight games you know against the best teams and they always seem to you know they can beat teams like the Broncos but I think this is going to be a fascinating game because of like I said with Fangio but I think that Nagy will start to get back to some of his stuff I think that the injuries first off the injury to Trey Burton is huge because Trey Burton is an identifier player to where when he can motion every which way Mitch Trubisky can identify coverages and that's where Mitch Trubisky looks smarter after the snap because he knows what he's doing before the snap when he doesn't know what he's doing you know you saw what you saw on Thursday you know he didn't necessarily look all that great um and I've, I've talked about it on the podcast, his biggest question is confidence. So if Trey Burton doesn't play, if Trey Burton plays, the Broncos have issues with tight ends forever. Um, I think they're going to have an issue with Adam Shaheen, who's like a sneaky, really cheap DFS play. But they've had issues with tight ends forever. Um, they could motion and you know mix and match and find ways. They could get Tarek Cohen, and there's really not enough speed in that second level for Denver to get going. The issue is if you pigeonhole Tarek Cohen as a slot receiver— that's not the best for him. You know, Anthony Miller, I think Anthony Miller, it's a combination of injuries and in the coach's doghouse. I think the injuries have prevented him from getting on the field and him not getting on the field has prevented him from taking that next step in the offense that really kind of the nucleus is taken. So Miller's in a tough spot, but that put, that technically puts Cohen in a tough spot to where, so Cohen's not a matchup identifier player. He's just a slot receiver. Um, Burton's not a matchup identifier player because he's out. So Cordero Patterson becomes our like big player and you know for as much as you want to use Cordero Patterson and I've talked about I think Nagy can use him properly he used him way too much and he used him in bad situations on Thursday night and I think it has to do with the losses of Miller and Burton so if they don't have Miller and Burton I'm really nervous about what the uh what the Bears can do on offense here, there's another stat that I think teams in September are 22-2 in two or something like that against the Broncos in uh, when Denver's at home because the reasoning behind that, because you can't just throw out a stat and just, you know, oh, well, because, but I mean... The altitude with the with like the of September, it's you know that September weather. You know it's a little bit warmer. It's not necessarily colder yet. Um, teams can start sucking wind a lot quicker in that altitude with the heat. So teams aren't necessarily prepared. Where the Broncos obviously live in that and you know work with that daily. So it is an adjustment. Um, 
that's where I'm, I'm a little nervous for the Bears. That's where I was saying if they start 0-2, um, they're in a tough spot in that a, in that NFC North here. So um, I don't have a feel yet. I honestly lean towards like, I think it's going to be like 14-13, 17-16. You know, um, is Matt Nagy going to have to kick a field goal situation? You know, that was another one that Nagy wouldn't kick a 50-yard field goal. Um, I know they were down 7-3, to but here's the thing. And Nagy even said it, you know, oh, we were down 7-3. to We didn't have many shots. Okay, if you kick that field goal and you make it and it's seven to six Mitch threw an interception in the end zone to lose the game you if, if he doesn't throw that interception you win seven and nine because you had already kicked the field goal earlier but you don't trust your kicker that you put all your faith in and he's the answer to all your questions didn't trust him at 50 yards and he, he said because uh our special teams coach said a he, 50 it was like 50 yards is the distance we don't go any longer than that and he, he won't go any longer than that because he doesn't trust his kicker so they spent all that time worried about their kicker and then Matt Nagy had a horrible game plan and now he has Vic Fangio, it's it's a tough spot for them. So that's where I'm not, you know. I was optimistic on the Bears in the uh, preseason podcast, but you know, I don't think the tides are necessarily turning quickly. But I think that reality is hitting Matt Nagy, and I said that he shouldn't spend so much time worried about this stupid kicker. And you know, now I think he has to really, you know, buck up, and he has to really put together a strong offensive game plan because if he doesn't, I think you know Robinson will be fine. Allen Robinson is like matchup proof. He's just an elite receiver, and if he gets Isaac Yid. Um, um, Yedem just got torched by Darren Waller um, play after play after play and uh, it's because what's his name is hurt Bryce Callahan and um, that puts Kareem Jackson in a spot where he was a safety now he's playing in the slot so they have their backup safety in so I mean it's not like the Broncos defense is all that great but I don't think the Bears are going to expose them and that's where I'm like tossed up on either side saying the Bears could score you know 14 17 points and get by but also the Bears could completely crap the bed in this game so I'm tossed up on both sides yeah Parks we ended up locking in a uh, six-point teaser on the Broncos and the under to take the Broncos to eight and a half and the under to forty-six and a half just for a unit. There. Yeah, I like the I like the under for sure, especially getting it that high and getting the Broncos within a touchdown. Because, like I said, I don't think the Bears can pull away from this game. I think if they win, it would be in like the two to three-point win range. It would be, and honestly, it will be an impressive win for them um, in terms of the you know the Broncos for fantasy. There's not a person, man. There's literally not a person that you could convince. I mean, Cortland. Sutton could he's good and could have a good game but you know Sanders got it together in garbage time after he found his footing um I there's running backs are 50 50 that was what it was you know 50 for Freeman 50 for Lindsay I want nothing to do with that one eh, I want nothing to do with anything <laughs> okay moving on to the Sunday night game there parks 820 Eastern the Eagles go down to Philadelphia um, we're looking at the Eagles with a 32-27 to comeback home win versus the Redskins. Atlanta lost 28-12 to on the road in Minnesota. Ryan was sacked four times there, Parks. Sean Jackson had a huge game. Um, he's now second all-time with 31 touchdowns of 50-plus yards after scoring a pair in this last week. Um, the look-ahead line was Atlanta as a pick for minus one. Right now we're looking at the Eagles minus one to minus one. One and a half with the total across the board of 51 points. Parks, get into this one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's potential for it to fall apart here for Atlanta, in my opinion. Um, and I mean, if you really kind of look at, you know, I think Dan Quinn, it's starting to fall apart for him, and he's starting to sound really frustrated in his press conferences. And I think he knows that his time's starting to tick. And you know, they invested two offensive line or two first round picks in their offensive line this offseason and really, you know, said that we're going to set up the run. We're going to put Matt Ryan in advantageous situations. It's going to make things easier for our defense. 
And, you know, here we go. And early into the game, Chris Lindstrom, their 15th pick in the draft, is out for the season. Uh, Caleb McGarry, their first round pick, is just getting tossed around by uh, Daniil Hunter, was just just a man possessed in that game, but really was just giving it to, you know, whether it be even Jake Matthews on the left side or Caleb. And they also subbed in uh, Sam Brelo because McGarry was, he saw way too much. Um, you know, got a punt blocked. Matt Ryan had seven interceptions last season. He had two in this game. Um, Devontae Freeman, you know, like I said, they're they're pump, pumping up all offseason. Oh, he's healthy. Um, we're going to give him the ball a lot. You know, we invested in the offensive line because it's a big Freeman year. He had like nine rushes. You know, they got out of their game. They got completely out of their game plan. And, you know, it's <laughs> what's funny is it happened last season to them. Uh, Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, all of a sudden, they're you know, they're falling down. Everything's falling apart around them. Um, and, you know, it was the Eagles early into the season. They had a poor game against and lost in the last seconds in Philadelphia. Um, this year, it's potentially Philadelphia goes to their house and, you know, beats the brakes off them. The reason I haven't bet it yet is honestly, it just comes down to they're in a dome, you know, back in a dome, back at home where Matt Ryan, his stats go a lot higher when he's at home versus when he's on the road. Um, even in domes, it's weird for Matt Ryan. He even struggles on the road in domes. I think some of that has to do with the Saints, um, you know, affecting his stats. But nonetheless, he's a lot better at home um and the Eagles secondary is you know it's not bad I don't think it's bad I think it's going to be fine but they're having serious communication issues they had it early into last season and by the end of the season um you know we're competing with the Saints in the playoffs so you know it's not necessarily bad but um Sidney Jones got beat. Um, Ronald Darby got beat. You know, they're struggling a little bit. Um, Maddox looked actually decent in that game. Um, he is, he's kind of like a, he plays almost every single snap, but it's, you know, sometimes he's in the slot, sometimes he's outside, sometimes he's safety. Um, they're really moving those guys around. And that's where I go back to the communication of that secondary. I think it's going to take time and it's going to be fine, but it's there. Um, Malik Jackson is the other one, you know, he's banged up or he's out for the season now. And, you know, Okay, that that devastates them, you know, kind of hurts in terms of their overall ceiling of how good of a Super Bowl team they could be. But I mean, they still have Barnett looked really good on Sunday and they still have Fletcher, obviously, and they still have, um, you know, the other guys in terms of their pass rush. So, I mean, Jackson was an addition this offseason that would have potentially put them over the edge. But I still the Eagles defensive line against that Falcons offensive line that's completely banged up and just completely got their brains beat in and kind of has to pick themselves up off the ground, you know while they're banged up and kind of on the run here, I could see the Eagles really getting after Matt Ryan. And that's where all of a sudden Matt Ryan back at home in the dome, it's not as great. But then, like I said, that secondary for the Eagles, um, it just gives me enough pause to where I'm not on it yet. I could uh, probably by the end of this, I'll be talked into the Eagles. Um, Because yeah, I mean, I also think that they're going to be able to run the football just like, not just like the Vikings did. I talked about, I think the Vikings are committed to the run, but they're going to be able to run the ball well. Uh, I think that getting into the hole, they went to Sproles heavily, but I, I really think that, you know, Jordan Howard has a defined role. He's a goal line runner and he'll close out games in the fourth quarter. That's his role. Um, and it's, you know, Hey, that's a fine role. He's going to get like 10 carries every single week, you know, 10 for 45, a couple, maybe a touchdown here and there. That's his role. Um, but I think that they're just using Sproles for now until they're completely satisfied, you know, to give Miles Sanders like 20 touches a game. So it's going to happen eventually for Sanders. He, you know, had a touchdown called back. I could 
could see him having a big game in the dome um, against the Falcons in this one. And then Deshaun Jackson, you know, him and Wentz are already found chemistry. It's opening stuff up for Alshon. Ertz, I talked about it on the podcast, um, the season preview podcast for the Eagles, going to start losing time to Goddard. And, um, you know, they're putting Goddard, because Goddard's a better blocker. So they're putting Goddard on the field. And it's really, it's keeping Ertz, okay, he's not the fantasy monster, but it's making him a better NFL player. So it's like, sorry, <laughs> sorry guys. But I mean, that's the way it is. Um, nonetheless, I would, I'd you still have to start him. I just don't start him in DFS. I think he's overpriced there. But um, really, yeah, I mean, Julio will be fine. Ridley will be fine. Um, Djax looks to be in a good spot. And like I said, if you want to go to Sanders, you probably can. So I think the Eagles get by here. I do think, you know, like 27-24, something like that. So right in line with the total. Yeah, Parks, and um, do you have any concerns about Malik Jackson being out? Do they have enough depth there that they can just keep rotating, guys? I think they have enough depth. But yeah, I think as the season goes on, it'll be a question. But not, especially because because of the Falcons injuries. Yeah, and uh, moving on here, Parks, to the last one, the Monday night game, Browns at the Jets there, Parks. The Browns, like we mentioned, had a home loss to the Titans, 43-13, and the Jets had a 17-16 home loss to Buffalo. Um, notes from that game, Park, the Browns only gained 39 of their yards and trailing by more than a touchdown, so they kept things pretty even for a majority of that game. Um, and then with the Jets... NFL teams that are plus three turnovers have gone basically 90% against the spread, and the Jets could not win or cover in that game. But the look-ahead line was two and a half, three in favor of the Browns. We're looking at that same line in a total ranging between 45 and a half to 46. Yeah, I think the Browns will be fine, but I think that what that showed us was that they're not ready to be the Super Bowl team that some people think they are. You know, and I think the biggest issue is obviously the offensive line and Greg, you know, Robinson, like, somebody in the head and he's out and then they start slot blitzing the hell out of Baker and I've talked about it with Baker before that one of my biggest questions with him is identifying things like that pre-snap and making the correct shifts because he didn't necessarily do that often in Oklahoma so um, it's still kind of to me it is picking up those blitzes and then it's communicating it to this offensive line that isn't necessarily great and the offense as a whole is undisciplined and it goes back to um, I'm kind of laughing at it because um, everyone's like praising Freddie Kitchens for everything he says and I know I think Warren Sharp had a thread on it and I thought it was a hilarious thread because the literal the thread was you know last last offseason Hugh Jackson was against Todd Haley and Freddie Kitchens and Freddie Kitchens were saying we need to toughen this team up you know we're a soft team we're an undisciplined team we need to you know get tougher um, Jarvis Landry was on hard knocks oh you need to practice we need to practice we need to toughen up we need to be- oh right right okay that's that's the offseason tone that year and everyone's bagging on Hugh Jackson and oh, he so stupid he's not toughening his team up Freddie Kitchens wants to toughen his team up Odell Beckham gets traded and doesn't practice a single training camp practice and who doesn't say anything Freddie Kitchens and Jarvis Landry I mean I'm just saying just saying now all of a sudden you have an undisciplined team taking all these penalties right so you know Freddie Kitchens is a great play caller he's also got the like him and Todd Munkin are going back and forth in terms of who's calling the plays because Freddie Kitchens needs to start learning that being a head coach is more than a play caller. So am I afraid of the Browns? Um, 
I guess, you know, am I afraid of them as a Super Bowl contender? No. Am I afraid that they're a bust? No. I think they're going to be like a 9-10 win team. Um, and I think that they're going to probably beat the Jets this week. Like I said with Josh Allen and the Bills, um, I think the Jets' defense is really bad. You know, Daryl Roberts and Tremaine Johnson just got completely torched last week. Um, CJ Mosley, the second he left the game, th- their defense just was done. You know, it was done for. Um, and when he leaves the game, it's not just him. They lost Avery Williamson in the offseason. So now they're starting linebackers are Neville Hewitt and Blake Cashman. So, you know, all of a sudden there's some serious issues there and they are going to be able to stick some guys in the slot. Um, Rashard Higgins got hurt on like the first drive and the Browns had a really strong first drive and then um, really just couldn't get it together from there. Uh, You know, Greg Robinson uh, gets taken out from there too, but... I do, you know, I, you need to see this Browns team really show some resolve um, because especially, you know, if you want to see them make the playoffs or even do anything in the playoffs, I think that the key that you have to remember here um, and you have to remember with Lamar Jackson and them and you have to remember with this team is how young they are, like as not just the quarterback, but as a nucleus and um, realize that, you know, it's going to take time to figure it out. But considering where the, you know, the Jets are also, I think Quinn and Williams is banged up and he was rotational last week and Greg Williams is being rotational with his whole D-line and he's got Marcus May playing like 30 yards you know back and um, they should just really torch Greg Williams you know Kitchens as a play caller and then you know comes comes to the Jets offense um is the offensive line good enough for Miles Garrett and company? I didn't think the Tennessee offensive line was, but um, I don't think that the you know Cleveland played that great um, in terms of their defensive scheme either. So we'll see about that. Um, I think that Jar- or Jameson Crowder will have another you know 14 catch performance in the slot, but won't really turn it into a ton of yards. I think Le'Veon will have a pretty good game, and um, yeah, I just don't think that the Jets will score enough offensively to where I do think the Browns have the potential. If the Browns don't score in this game, then you really have to start looking and saying, you know, oh boy, you know, this, this team is not nearly ready for the, for the heart, you know, for the lights and everything like that. But yeah, I mean, I just think that, um, they have a lot of, you know, learning and progressing to do, and they're going to take losses like they did to Tennessee, but I think that they'll also potentially bounce back and beat a team like the Jets in this spot, so. Yeah, Parks, did you play anything um, in terms of the line? No, yeah, I don't like that one yet, because while I do lean to the Browns, I'm still, you know, I'm worried about them um, in that situation, especially with their O-line, but I do, and Baker also, um, he, he was holding his shoulder, you know, they said they got MRIs, it's completely fine, but um, he, he took a bunch of hits in that game, so we'll see. Yeah, Parks, just crack a beer and watch that Monday night game there and take some notes on it. Um, so, Parks, that'll do it for this week, too, and a uh, preview, a little bit of a week one recap as well. Um, all of our plays have been tweeted out at TNF underscore podcast, so make sure you follow us on there. We will tweet out this um, episode. We're hoping to have it up Thursday morning for the morning commuters. So if you don't have anything else to say, Parks, we can get out of here, and we'll be back next Wednesday to record for next Thursday. Yeah, just hit us up on Twitter. All right, guys. Catch you next time.